Please, I appreciate uh, the worship time, some of my favorite songs, especially as we're thinking about how does God present himself and what is he asking for from this whole world um, so that nobody's startled. I'm just letting you know in 35 minutes, my alarm will go off to say, wrap it up. So if you hear a weird sound and I start fumbling with my phone, then you'll know what that's that's all about. But in uh, Habakkuk 2.14, there's this great verse. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Is that the way it is today? Is the earth filled? Is every heart conscious of God's glory? No. Mankind now, 7 billion, spread all over this earth. Most of them don't know the glory of God, don't know that they're made in the image of God, don't know what God is asking for, don't know what God has done for them. And yet, we have the prophecies that, in the end, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's awesome to be involved in kingdom work, isn't it? It's awesome because we know God is with us and is heading for this destination. And we can throw ourselves into it knowing that He goes before us, He comes behind us, and He is with us, as He said in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Well, this morning we're continuing in the series that Pastor Nathan started in 1 Samuel. So please open your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to be reading chapters 5 and 6 together. I commend Pastor Nathan for his strong word ministry, and I especially appreciate when a pastor takes the church through the whole Word of God, not just camping out on the favorite spots, the places that we're familiar with, but uh, today we're going to be in probably a pretty unfamiliar place, so, so that's kind of fun, some new territory, and you know, we really need to be exposing ourselves to every word that God gave us. God gave us this scripture, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, and they are God-breathed. They're the only God-breathed that came from the mouth of God. And we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to Him to listen to every word of it. Do you have a plan for reading the whole Bible through? I follow this plan called the One Year Bible. You can get it on your phone, part of version. You can get a lot of plans I'm just absolutely stuck on this one. I'm in love with it. It takes me through the whole Bible every single year. Nan and I have been doing it now for, since 1989. Oh, so 22 years or something. 30, wow. Okay. Getting old here, right. Uh, but I commend it to you uh, as well to expose yourself to the Word of God. And it's a blessing for me this morning to be able to be part of your journey through the Word of God. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, we're going to call it God in Exile. Some of you like to take notes, so maybe there's some places in your bulletin for taking notes. What we're going to do is we're going to first read the story. Just read the whole thing, okay? It takes eight minutes. Um, so hopefully you won't fall asleep while I read it. And then we're going to ask the question, why did God write this? In fact, why did God write the whole Bible? How about that? Hopefully um, you already have an answer or two uh, in that line. But just to give us some context as to why this is here. And then 
How does God handle being in exile? Very awkward place to be. How does God handle that? And how do you handle exile? Hopefully there will be some something you can take home with you. All right? So let's read together, and then we'll, uh, we'll walk through our time in the Word together. 1 Samuel chapter 5. And we're going to actually read into the first two verses of chapter 7. I'm using the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, at this uh, time. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod. To this day, the hand of Yahweh, when you see all capital L-O-R-D, that's what English translations put when the Hebrew actually has Yahweh, the personal name of God that he gave to the Israelites. So sometimes I just substitute Yahweh, all right? The hand of Yahweh was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of Yahweh was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the wards of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Chapter 6, the ark of Yahweh was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of Yahweh? Tell us, with what shall we send it to its place? They said, 
If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. The Philistines had five cities, mostly in the area of Gaza, today, modern-day Gaza. But also Ashkelon, I think, was up by the Jordan River. So they kind of had the, um, uh, the, the Jews surrounded, in a sense. And they also had better technology than the Jews. But in all of these cities, all five of them, these plagues were breaking out. Um, not just the city where the ark happened to be at that at, at that moment. So they're you know let's work together here to get rid of this thing, right? Verse five. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land, and give glory to the God of Israel. The earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Right? Here's a little glimmer of that happening. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? Oh, they remembered that story, huh? The fame of Yahweh had, was still alive from, from the Exodus. After he had dealt severely with them, they did not send the people away, the Hebrews, away did they not send them away and they departed? How did they send them away? You remember? They loaded them down with gold and jewelry and stuff when the Israelites were finally released out of Egypt. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take the calves home away from them and take the ark of Yahweh and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side, the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. Now, how many of you know cows and you know, their calves and so forth. And if you know what's going to happen here between a, a mama cow and the calf, the calf is going to be going, bah, bah. And now uh, that mama is going to go, moo, moo. And gonna, they're going to try to get together to resolve this problem of lactation, which is so painful when it's not relieved. But guess what? Those mama cows, let's watch what they did. Verse 10, the men did so. They took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh. Wow, that's a miracle. Right there, okay? Along one highway, lowing as they went. Yeah, they're feeling it, but they're still heading toward Israel because God is driving them. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. 
Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to Yahweh. And the Levites took down the ark of Yahweh and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to Yahweh. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. I mean, those five lords followed it, watched, and maybe they had binoculars, whatever. But they, the leaders, were personally making sure that this all worked out so they would be rid of the, the plagues that God sent on them. Verse 17. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to Yahweh. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of Yahweh is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh. Who did? Yahweh did. He struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of Yahweh. I don't think it was when they like looked up and the things coming over the hilltop. Oh, look, it's the ark. I don't think that was it. It's probably they monkeyed around with it, peeked inside the box, whatever. But uh, they, they were not reverent and, and protecting the holiness of the ark of God. He struck 70 men of them. That means he killed them. Boom. And the people mourned because Yahweh had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before Yahweh, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? Saying the exact same words as the Philistines. Who's going to take this away from us? Who can we give this to? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of Yahweh. Come down and take it up to you. Especially emphasizing the to you part. Take it home with you. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of Yahweh and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of Yahweh. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after Yahweh. Let's pray together. Father, we love you for giving us your word and help us to understand why you gave us each part of this precious word. So many parts we don't understand. And uh, Holy Spirit, we know that uh, you wrote it and we know that you are alive in the heart of each believer. And so give us, Lord, a hunger and a passion know your word give us insight enlighten our minds and especially <clears throat> help us to apply it i pray in jesus name amen <clears throat> can i have my bottle of water there sam that'd be great
So the first thing we want to do is ask, why did God write this crazy story, huh? It's really quite an amazing story. So let's think about the sections of the Bible and why they were written. And we'll consider the section that this is in and see how it fits inside of that. And we'll also talk about the whole Bible. Why was that written? The first section of the Bible is called the, starts with a P, Pentateuch, right? means the five books, the five books of Moses, all right? God had Moses write the Pentateuch as the Constitution for the nation. How many of you love the Constitution of the United States? I love it. It's an amazing thing. This is an amazing country based on this Constitution. God gave the Jews a Constitution when they came out of Egypt as a nation. This is their Constitution, the Pentateuch, all right? It's a theocracy. God is the king. And he has a bunch of rules. He wants them to know, this is how you worship me. And this is how you do the justice system and the economic system and the celebration system. You know, the feasts and all that. Temple system. Woo! A lot of systems in this constitution. The next section of the Old Testament we call... A lot of people call it the books of history. There's an older name for it. The Jews used to call it the former prophets. The former prophets. They bunched them together. And it was basically Joshua through the end of 2 Kings. All right? They called them the former prophets. And that includes our book of 1 Samuel. All right? And we can easily see how a young Hebrew boy in the days of maybe Hezekiah might come up to his dad and say, Hey, hey dad. Dad, how did we get the Davidic dynasty as our rulers? I mean, other countries have these. How did we get the, the house of David as our rulers? Or, uh, Dad, how did we get this awesome temple in our capital city? And then the dad could say, well, son, let me um, share with you the story of Samuel. Let me share with you the story of David and how this and and Solomon and that's how we got this amazing temple and this amazing dynasty that we've had and then later when someone like Jeremiah completed the section of the former prophets with second kings then these stories would provide the answer as they were in exile hey dad dad why are we in exile well you see it's because God gave us this constitution and we didn't follow it we were disobedient. And he said, if you're disobedient, I'm going to send you into exile. And, and look at, here's how the prophets came. And they warned us again and again. And, and here we are in exile, far away from home. There's an even bigger question than how did we get the Davidic dynasty? And how did we get the temple? And that is the answer to the question of why did God write the whole Bible? So let's try to answer that. Maybe, maybe there's a few of you in the room right now that have a good answer to that. Why did God write the whole Bible? Let's see if you're one of them. Keep your finger in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Let's go back to Genesis, all right? Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. All right. You know, this is the story of Adam and Eve and, and the serpent and, uh, you know, eating the forbidden from the forbidden tree and so forth. And then God gives a pronouncement after they sinned, okay? And this is the key part. The most important part is what he spoke to Satan. Chapter 3, verse 15. He says here, 
I, I, God, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Guess what, Satan? There's going to be a great war. You didn't win. You just started this thing. <laughs> you didn't win, but you started the war, but I'm going to finish the war. And your head is going to be crushed. Yes, between the people that you think that you won over to your side, I'm going to win back a good portion of them. And they're going to be on my side. My side is going to fight your side. And one member of my side, he, singular he, Seed of the woman, born of a virgin. We find that prophesied a couple more times, don't we? He is going to crush your head, although you're going to strike his heel. And guess what? All of history is about this story right there. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's two phases in history. Very simple. Any of you love history? We can make it real simple if you don't love history. Very simple. The head-crushing phase and the heel-striking phase. I'll give you one guess as to which phase we're in right now. The head-crushing phase or the heel-striking phase? Any of you feeling like uh, something's biting at your ankles all the time? Yeah, yeah. That's our adversary, the devil, all right? And he never lets up. He's always prowling around, seeking whom he may devour, as it says in James. So this is, this is what history is all about. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand history. Okay? According to the Bible, is there any doubt about the outcome of this battle? Does, does God say in the Bible, well, boy, if only you guys could finally get your act together. Shoo, I'm not sure if this is going to, you know. Is there any doubt about the outcome of this war that's going on? Not a single doubt. The only thing in question is, which side are you on? And are you fighting hard? All right? Which side are you on? And are you fighting hard? That's, that's the question. So the whole rest of the Bible was written so we can understand how that battle plays out. How that war plays out. That's what the whole Bible is about. Now, God wanted his eternal son to take the place of his elected son, Israel, as prophesied and as the long awaited head crusher. Though he in the process becomes the most rejected and cursed of human beings, doesn't it say cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. He was despised and rejected of men. Yeah. So that the Messiah promise through David and the prophets that there will be the sacrificial system and all of this stuff was set up to fulfill what Genesis 3.15 is talking about. All the details of the Bible, including this one here, because it's talking about how did we get the temple in the capital of Jerusalem? It's not even the capital yet. Because it has to be there, because Jesus has to go there. And Jesus has to become the Passover lamb. And he has to be sacrificed just outside the gates of Jerusalem. It's all planned. And the whole Bible is to tell us how did God work this plan out over the course of 
like 6,000 years. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. So there's a few things that haven't happened yet, right? <laughs> now, this is a point of information. God has given us a lot of information. Why? So that we'll work hard and we can earn our salvation. This is to tell us how to earn our salvation, right? No. This is so that we'll believe the story. God just gives us a story and says, believe it or not. Believe that I am God. Believe that I'm going to do all this stuff. Believe that I sent Jesus Christ for you. I'm giving this information so that you can believe it. He doesn't, he doesn't give us the, hey, you got to do A, B, and C, and then you'll make it. Then you'll go to heaven, or then your life will be perfect. That's, that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is God's story, and he just says, believe it. Do you believe it? Have you given your heart to the Lord? Do you believe that Satan and all his followers will be cast into the lake of fire? As it says in Revelation 20, verse 10. Then the devil and all his angels were cast into the lake of fire, he says. That is the head-crushing phase. Now, we might see a little bit of head-crushing here and there. You know, Jesus did some miracles here. He drove out some demons. And there's various ways in which we see flickers, just little foretaste of the final head-crushing but it isn't until Revelation chapter 20 that we actually get to the head-crushing phase of history. That means we're smack dab in the middle of which phase? The heel-biting phase. We are all in exile. As, as Peter said in 1 Peter, he says, We are strangers, we're foreigners, we're aliens, we're refugees in this world. This world is not my home, I'm... Just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Yeah, and that's the truth, my friends. And are you living for that truth or for some other idea? This is not a feel-good religion. This is not a self-help religion. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation or trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be an overcomer. Be a follower of Jesus. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy, but it does mean you're going to win in the end. And, and if you like winning, that's the way to go. So going back to 1 Samuel 5 and 6, which I hope you kept your finger there. We understand God is telling the story of how his temple was eventually set up in Jerusalem. Moses wrote often about there's this place, you know. Where God will cause his name to dwell. And that doesn't really fully come to pass until 1 Kings chapter 8. When Solomon finishes building the temple and he prays. And the temple's filled with glory. Smoke billowing out. The priest can't even see to go in. It's like so awesome. So this story is, you know, it's, it's a very detailed story about the temple being established. Well... How did God go into exile? Well, you know the story because Pastor Nathan has shared it. And uh, we won't go into all the details of how did the ark get built. But suffice it to say, that represented God's presence. 
in Israel. And it had to be protected and had to have these barriers so that the holy, in the holy of holies, would not touch anything unclean. And, uh, and yet here we see it being paraded around and, and so forth. So <clears throat> the Philistines take the ark. Woohoo! We won, we won. And they give glory to their God. That's, that's good. They, you know, they've got a God and they give glory to their God. It's the wrong God. It's a false God. It's actually a demon hiding behind this wooden statue. Probably wooden. Or the head would have broken the first time, right? Um, maybe it's stone. I don't know. Somehow it fell and it didn't break the first time, but it broke the second time. So they brought the ark and placed it in a subservient position near their God, Dagon. To show that it's Yahweh is bowing down to our God. Our God is 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 chief, is more powerful, and so forth. And then you can see what happened. Now, about this time, actually, it's it's in the period of the judges, something similar happened to Samson. Remember? He was captured. They cut off his hair and they captured him and made him grind wheat in the prison. And then they, they said, hey, it's time to have a party. Um, we're going to have a big festival to Dagon. And Dagon defeated our enemy, Samson. Let's bring him out and mock him. Let's have fun with, with Samson. Ah, <laughs> Samson, you thought you were so great. Look at, we've got the power over you. It was, a, it was kind of a combination party, worship service. And one of the songs in that worship service, I believe, went like this. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. You know, that, that's kind of the spirit of it. Look at, we got you. You are history, man. You are toast. They were rocking the place. And then Samson rocked it a little bit more, right? And that was the last time. That, and what, 4,000 people died in that deal. Well, how does God handle himself when he is in exile and is being mocked? He's out of his own country. He doesn't have anyone to represent him or to fight for him. What does he do? Well, first thing he does is he can make the stones cry out, right? Just like, like Jesus said, they, they said, uh, shut up all these kids shouting your praise. He says, if they shut up, the stones will cry out. Well, here's a, here's a case where he made the stone statue, if it was stone, to worship him. <laughs> they didn't get a clue from that somehow. They just, woo went right over their heads. But instead of killing everybody like Samson did, he, he revealed himself. He started to open their eyes. He started to make them realize who he was. He put a great fear in them. He, he kind of brought them to their senses and gave them a chance to repent. Is that what you and I have experienced? Is that how he's treated you and I? He left his home in heaven. He came down here to live among his enemies. I was an enemy. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 5 says, While we were enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself. Well, he brought us to our senses if we've come to believe in Jesus Christ. He caused us to be terrified of hell. That is a real place. It's not just made up to make people do stuff. He made us conscious of our personal individual sin. And he showed us how broken our idols were. Any of you had some idols smashed by the Lord during the course of your life? 
Now, God is not enthroned in this earth, even today. That day has not yet come. And God, Jesus, and his followers are often mocked and marginalized. How do we behave now that we are in exile? We're away from our home, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3. We need to be merciful, living among dying people. We need to be revealing God to people, helping them come to their senses. Sometimes people feel like they're in exile when their values are not well represented in Washington or on the school board. We need to remember that we are the refugees here. Now, for me, it's pretty easy to remember that um, this world is not my home when uh, I'm surrounded by 140 million Muslims. I'm sorry, yeah, 150 million Muslims. That's how many are in Bangladesh. They're 90% Muslim there. This is a picture of the Muslims uh, um, bowing and praying before that great thing in Mecca called the Kaaba or Kaaba. I can't remember how to say it. And... It's not hard to think of myself as an exile, as a foreigner, when I'm also surrounded by 15 million Hindus. And this is the god Kali. They have millions of gods, but this is one of the main ones. Destroying God. Power of destruction. A lot of times Kali has blood uh, on her mouth from eating something. Eating you know, something that was alive a few minutes ago. <clears throat> And I think of dear Arifa, uh, who came to Christ uh, just a few years ago. Arifa from a, a wealthy Muslim family. And she was distraught and she was seeking peace and, and she was praying. And instead of the, the word Allah, she accidentally said the word Jesus when she was praying and pouring out her heart one day. And all of a sudden, this incredible new sense of peace just rushed into her being, into her soul. And she thought, whoa, I got to find out, you know, more about this Jesus. I used his name one time and, 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 and I feel changed. She became a Christian and she is witnessing to her family, uh, although they threatened her and, you know, put them out, and so forth. Uh, I think of her. She's in exile. <clears throat> We're exiles together. And then I think of our uh, staff member, Mohesh, who, uh, he came to Christ and uh, from a Hindu background. And he was threatened by some. In fact, his father has told him numerous times, if you don't recant of your Christianity, you're losing all your inheritance. He insists on going and speaking the gospel to his dad. Over and over. You'll find it in his prayer requests in the, uh, in the folder uh, back there. Um, so, we're in exile. Do we behave like God in the exile? Let's see, there's my uh, thing to remind me to wrap her up. To me, the saddest part of this story is in chapter 7. <clears throat> and that, not 7, 6. And that for seven months, the ark was in exile in Israel, meaning it was home, but it really wasn't welcome. Yikes, get this thing out of here. 
wait a second. This is your God who promised, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take you into the promised land. And this is the symbol of that presence. Get it out of here. Get it. I don't like it. Are we like that ever? Ew. I got to go to church. <laughs> Bible study, youth group, prayer meeting. <laughs> Ew. Now, <clears throat> no deaths were reported in Philistia. Maybe there was death. They said it was a deathly fear. We don't know. It doesn't say. But it does say 70 people died in Israel. 1 Peter 4.17 says this. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That's where God starts, friends. He cleanses the church first. Are we ready for the high heat of His holiness? For His blazing eyes to look into our heart? Search me, O God. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Test me. See if there's any wicked way in me. That is the heart of a believer who knows God. Search me, O God. Just this last week, I was like, <clears throat> you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, I really haven't had to confess many sins lately. <laughs> you know, three days in a row, I'm boom, 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 boom. It's like, yikes. Are you faithful in confessing your sin? You say, yep, I did that. Yes, I did that, God. Even going to a fellow Christian or a non-Christian, say, I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? Are we conscious of the holiness? Do we pursue and love God's holiness? Do we aspire to wear His holiness as a garment? Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6 says, and you, you know it, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? Who's going to go and worship before God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You're already saved, but you need righteousness. I'm already saved, but I need righteousness. We get that through worshiping God and through confessing our sins. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. You know, God may get second place in many Christians' lives and many churches. But the good news is that even though he found no home in Beth Shemesh, the next town took him in. Hmm? Kiriath Jerem, 10 miles closer to Jerusalem. And we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. And the goal is Jerusalem, where God is going to finally establish his place, his name, his resting place. And that comes later in the story, as Pastor Nathan will continue this series. This morning, you might be one of three people. Number one, you might be on the wrong side of this war. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Whose offspring are you? Offspring of Satan, Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus said that. Do you know for sure that you've been born again? That you have been born into the family of God? That you're a child of God? Oh, yeah, my mom told me I got born again when I was six. You don't know that for sure? You don't remember how that happened, why that happened? Tremble, my friend. Maybe you just walked in here today. It's like, boy, you guys are weird. You talk about Satan's team and God's team and I'm on one of the... I'm just an ordinary human being. Think about it, friend. Listen to God speak in your heart. And maybe even talk to someone today. Is there anybody here who could tell another soul how to be born again? How to be saved from their sins? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you can tell somebody how to be saved... Keep the hands up. Keep them up. You're proud. You know how to open the Bible. This is how you get your sins forgiven. You become a child of God. Okay, friend, find one of those hands. Get on the team. (laughs) Number two, you might be the person who needs to embrace this life as my exile from home. Maybe you're tempted to think this is your home. I got my retirement planned. I got this. I got that. Invest in the kingdom of God, friend. That's the only thing that's going to last. This world is not your home. Thirdly, maybe you're a person who needs a new commitment to honoring God as holy. Will you close with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this interesting story, history. And uh, we can see a little bit of what you're, what you're doing, what you're at here in, in the whole story of mankind. We want to say we believe the story. And we're going to line up our lives line up our priorities according to your story. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.